First John chapter 1, 5, and I'll be reading from verses 5 through 10. I'll wait a little bit. Okay. This is the word of God. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, there it is. It's great to be with you all. Uh, I have some literature. If you didn't notice on the way in the door, there are some literature on the table. All the newsletters are free for the taking, and there's a sign-up sheet so you can receive future issues. It comes out three or four times a year and is, is addressing various issues of sexual brokenness. So some are written particularly to strugglers who, who have issues in their own life. Sometimes it's, it's to help walk with a struggler or, or if you have a family member. Uh, so, so take advantage of, of uh, the newsletters that are out there. Please sign up to receive it. We'd be happy to send it to you. I'll give you a quick background on our ministry. We started out of 10th Presbyterian Church in 1983, so this is our 31st year of ministry. Uh, at that time, as an outreach to the gay community. 10th is right in the heart of what we call the gayborhood in Philadelphia, and there's a little half wall in front of the church where, where male prostitutes used to come and sit and wait for men to pick them up. And Dr. James Montgomery Boyce was the pastor at the time. You may have heard of that name. And he realized this is a lost people group that's literally on the doorstep of my church. So we started as an outreach Bible study to these men. And over the years, um, people, many men came and women started coming that wanted to leave the lesbian life. Uh, we we had men and women who met in our group and ended up getting married. That's not our goal, to kind of move people towards heterosexual functioning, but that did happen. Um, we say that the opposite of homosexuality isn't heterosexuality, it's holiness. It's someone who is taking all of their life and submitting it to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, so over the last, I would say, 15 years or so, our ministry has expanded to really work across the board with people dealing with all kinds of sexual brokenness. And a big part of that is with the the increase of technology. When I started working at Harvest 13 years ago, I told people, what you used to have to go to an adult bookstore to buy is coming right into your living room now through your computer. Well, now, 13 years later, it's coming right into our pocket, right? As, as uh, Sue Sung was saying earlier, with, with iPods and everything uh, and smartphones, um, it's, it's in everybody's hands now. And so this is a huge, huge issue. And it's an issue that's not just out there in our kind of bad culture. It's an issue that's right here within these four walls. Um, it's something that people in the body of Christ are dealing with. So uh, thank you, brother, for reading. Wherever, where were you? 
I'm in the back there. I have the camera now. Uh, if you have a Bible, keep it open. If you're looking on a tablet, please don't go on Facebook. So um, we're going to be looking at this passage in 1 John 1. And to start off, um, you may remember a commercial many years ago was for, for uh, a deodorant. It said, never let them see you sweat. You know, there's people in like board meetings or different kind of competitions. And, you know, you don't, you don't want people to see you anxious. You know, you're supposed to be kind of poker-faced. You want to go through life without showing any kind of weakness. Uh, many of us learned at, at a very young age that any kind of weakness we demonstrate at elementary school on the playground is going to be exploited, right? Um, so, so we go through life often with a facade, pretending like everything's okay, not letting people in, not letting people see where we struggle. Um, the problem is that's the exact opposite of how God calls us to live, invites us to live. Um, and it's not just physical weaknesses. Um, a big factor here is the shame that we feel because of the things that we do, the things that we keep hidden. Uh, shame is a big factor for us. And, you know, it's been a problem for humanity going all the way back to the garden. You might remember in Genesis 3 that when Adam and Eve ate of the tree, what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and they ran and hid in the bushes, right? And so here we are, thousands of years later, we still live the same way, um, hiding and covering and trying to protect uh, in shame. Um, this passage talks a lot about sin. If you have not been in a church for a while, the, the S word is probably part of the reason. You know, you don't like to hear about that. Uh, what, what does the Bible mean when it talks about sin? It's, it's basically saying that all of us are prone to live for ourselves, to not care about other people, and to disregard God. To live as if God doesn't exist, we don't have to pay attention to him. That's what the Bible means when it talks about sin. It just means that we're, we're trying to live for ourselves. And, and this passage is pointing out uh, three important things that I want us to look at today. Uh, number one, it's talking about the problem that we're facing with, with sin. Number two, it, it describes the beginning of that solution. There's many more steps that we could talk about, but it talks about the beginning of the solution. And number three, there's, there's, there's blessings that it's promising us if we are willing uh, to walk in obedience. So starting off, what is the problem it's talking about? To give you a little bit of a context for this letter, John is writing to a congregation in order to speak against some false teaching that, that has arisen. Uh, it's not completely clear what the specific heresy was, but the, the, the book can, there's some, there's some conclusions that we can draw from, from what we see in the book. Uh, scholars think it was some early form of Gnosticism. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And basically what it was was cult religions that would say, hey, we've got some secret knowledge. We've got some special knowledge, and you can be initiated into our cult for a price, and we'll tell you what it is. And, and so it was, a, it was based on elitism, um, those who were in and those who weren't, those who, the haves and the have-nots. That's what this was about. And one of the things that, that they seem to be teaching from what we see in John here, in First John, is that um, they were free from sin. Sin wasn't an issue for them. And John is calling them out and saying, no, 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 you're lying, right? He says in, in, in verse 6, if you say you have fellowship with him while you walk in the darkness, you lie and do not practice the truth. So we see later in, in verse 8 and again in verse 10, he says that if 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Um, probably what was going on here was they were, they were what would be referred to as antinomian, living against the law, like the law didn't exist. They could live however they wanted. They were not under any kind of law. Um, they were free to live however they wanted. Um, it's possible in verse 10 when it says that we, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, that part of what was going on here is that they were denying original sin, that man is, is broken and in rebellion against God from the very beginning, that none of us are born with hearts that turn towards him. Um, if you struggle with that reality, I guess we can't go into a whole lot of it. I'd love to talk to you maybe after the service. The one thing I'd point out to you, particularly if you have children, you never have to teach your children to be selfish, right? You have to teach them to share, right? I have twin daughters, and uh, they never saw my wife and I hit each other. It was amazing how quickly they learned that over the favorite Barbie, you know? Um, so so that's, what, that's what the Bible's talking about with original sin, that, that we are prone to live for self, as I was saying earlier. And it seems like maybe the, the, these, these false teachers were denying that reality. And, and basically they're saying they're making God out to be a liar because that's what, that's what the scriptures teach. So the problem is these teachers are saying that they have communion with God. Um, and John is saying, you're lying. You need to get honest. Um, he, is, he is zealous to speak into all these voices that are out there. And, and I love how, if, if you have the, the Bible open there, with verse 3, we didn't actually read that at the, at the front end, but Paul or John gives his reason for why he's writing this letter. He's saying, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So as I said, the Gnostics were very elitist, right? The haves and the have-nots. It was kind of a hierarchy of who's in and who isn't. John is saying, we want to have fellowship with you. Uh, we want to be in a relationship of love with you. It's sweet to be here today with, with the new members being, being welcomed into fellowship. That was John's heart in this letter. Not only that, that the, the local body would have fellowship, but they would have fellowship with the broader church and with, him, with he himself uh, and not have this, this kind of elitism going on. So he was saying, look, what's going on with these false teachers, even with the, the way of, of fellowship, there's a fundamental inconsistency. They're saying this is true of them, particularly, I'm not struggling with sin. And he's saying, would you just get honest, please? Would you be honest about the fact that you're struggling with sin? Uh, so, so how does this apply to our lives more particularly? As Christians, it's really easy for us to project an image. Right? It's real easy for us to pretend that we have it all together. And you may have the proper theology. You might say, uh, of course there is you know, the presence of ongoing sin in the life of a believer. But the question is, how does that, how does that doctrine find traction in your life? Because if your interactions with brothers and sisters in the congregation look like you have it all together, you're basically living the same way. It's almost as if you're proclaiming by your life, hey, no problem here. No problem with sin. And John would say the same thing. Would you please be honest? Would you be honest about what's going on? Um, so the problem is we, we are all prone to live in hiding. We are prone to, to cover up what's going on in our lives. Um, and so, so I want to ask you, where, where are you tempted to keep sin hidden? There's, there's nothing more poisonous to our soul than hidden sin. Uh, I took a circuitous route into the body of Christ through drugs and alcohol, 
and I spent some time in Narcotics Anonymous, and there's a, there's a common grace slogan they have in Narcotics Anonymous, you are only as sick as your secrets. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. You know, the things that we keep hidden are poison to our souls. So, so I just want to put out there at the outset here, where are you struggling today? And does anyone know? Does anyone know? Um, I work with men who who come to me saying, you know, Dave, I'm a good Christian husband and father, and I serve in the church. I just have this one little problem back over here. You know, I look at pornography, or you know, I've slept with prostitutes a couple times, or, or whatever it might be. I struggle with same-sex attraction. Uh, I look at gay porn. Um, what the challenge for me initially is to help them to see what they're doing in secret that they're keeping hidden says far more about what's going on in their soul than any of the things that they're doing outward for men to see, right? That who we are in secret in some way is a revelation of of who we truly are. And so um, how we present ourselves um, matters. And and I want you to think about this, that we we all um, are prone to to continue sticking with with fig leaves. Um, So where, where are you hiding today? What's going on in your life that you don't want other people to know about? Um, Who would be appropriate to have those conversations with, to begin sharing and inviting them in? We'll talk about that more in a moment. Um, You know, the passage says that we we not only deceive other people, that we deceive ourselves. Um, With lots of the struggles with sin that we have, we try to say we we justify, we rationalize. It's not a big deal. It's not hurting anyone. Um, one of the biggest lies that the enemy wants us to believe is you're the only one dealing with this. And then the second one is, oh, and by the way, you can deal with it by yourself. Um, those are the two of the biggest lies that the enemy brings against us. Uh, one of the things that is always amazing for men when they start coming to our support groups at Harvest USA is that they realize I'm not alone. All these years, I thought I was the only one struggling with this. Uh, in the church. I'm not alone. There's other people struggling in the same way. So the problem is we all struggle with sin and we don't like to talk about it. We prefer fig leaves. Uh, Point number two, what's the solution? Uh, John begins in explaining the solution by saying something at at the outset of this passage about God. He says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So what's in view with God being light? On one level, he's talking about God's absolute perfection and purity and glory. Uh, he's, he's taking a little bit of a, of a shot probably at the Gnostics that would say, hey, we have the truth here. Uh, we, we have the truth. That we, and, and he's saying, no, 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 no. Revelation, illumination only comes from God. He's the source of all true knowledge. Um, but it goes even deeper than that. Uh, think about what it means, um, what, it, what, what light is about. Life exists on our planet because at some point God said, let there be light, right? All life on this planet exists because the sun sustains it. So what is God saying? I am the life giver. I am the only source of life for you. Um, I'm the only one. That can, that can sustain your existence, that can satisfy your soul. Uh, in contrast, in, in John's writings, darkness represents everything that is fearsome, um, anything that's evil. And, and so at the, at the Last Supper, you might remember, it talks about, Jesus says, you know, whoever dips 
dips his bread in this cup is the one who's going to betray me. And, and it says Judas dips it and immediately goes out. And John says, it was night. It was when these dark things happen, when betrayal happens. Um, you know, it's really significant that at the end of Revelation, you know, another book written by John, that he describes, he's in describing the new Jerusalem, he says in that glorious city that's coming, two times he says it in the last chapters, there will be no night. You know, the, I've never known a child who is not scared of the dark. You know, I might take, I might run up the last three flights of stairs out of the basement once the lights are out. You know, there's, there's something scary about the darkness, right? John is saying in that city that's coming, there will be no night. Darkness and anything wicked, scary is vanquished forever. So it's incredibly hopeful when, when we hear that God is light. With him, nothing is hidden. But see, that's where we run into a little bit of a problem, right? It may not be particularly encouraging to consider God being light if there's things you want to hide. Um, And so John describes in his gospel, here's the verdict, he says in John 3, light has come into the world, but men prefer darkness because their deeds are evil. Um, I lived as an undergrad I went to school in Philadelphia, and I lived in what was essentially a tenement that was infested with with rodents and cockroaches and stuff. And and our bathroom had no window, so it was dark in there all the time. And anytime you went in there and flicked on the light, you would just see dozens of cockroaches go scurrying to the corners, you know, trying to find somewhere to hide. Um, That's how we live spiritually when there's hidden sin in our life. The light comes on, and we're like a cockroach. Let me, let me go hide. Um, God is inviting us to live in a radically different way. So, so if there's places in your life that are hidden, if there's ways that even in this moment the Spirit is convicting you, yes, there are things that you need to let people know that you're doing. Um, the gospel is true. And so there's a tremendous hope that this passage is holding out for you. And so, you know, obviously sexual things can be things that we hide uh, but but what else what else might you be hiding problems in in your marriage in your parenting what are what are places where you're struggling it could be with your finances maybe your spending is out of control maybe as as the brother shared um, substance abuse could be a problem for you you know you're not a drunk who's knocking over lamps but every day you can be sure you're going to need something to unwind um, where are you struggling that people don't know about. What is the solution that this passage is holding out? It's incredibly simple, but the reality is it's one of the hardest things in the world. Um, The solution is that we would begin to be honest about what's going on. So so John describes this in verse 7 as walking in the light. And what I want you to think about is that walking in the light does not mean you live a life of of sinless perfection. It doesn't mean walking in the light like you've got a halo, like those old, old medieval paintings, right? You've got a halo around you. You're a saint. Um, it means walking in the light. The contrast would be John 3, right? The men prefer the darkness. Um, walking in the light does not mean sinless perfection. It means willing to be honest about your sin. It's not... Um, the question isn't, are you going to sin? The question is, what do you do when you sin? It's choosing a life of exposure instead of a life of hiding. Um, so what can, what can enable us to do this? Um, 
The hope of the gospel is that Jesus was taken outside the city, stripped naked, and slaughtered in the darkness so that you and I would have the freedom to come into the light with the promise that all those who put their trust in him will never be put to shame because he will clothe you. He won't leave you naked. He will clothe you with his righteousness. That is what is held out to us in the gospel. You know, I love, I love amazing grace, and, and I love the line, how, um, how glorious the grace appeared the hour I first believed. You know, many of us had that experience. I don't know about you. I had a very broken past with substance abuse and promiscuity. There's a reason why you end up with a job like mine. Um, the moment I believed was amazing. All the guilt, seeing the, the atonement that was given for me, the freedom that was offered to me. But you know, I've been in Christ like 20 years now. I'm supposed to have it together now, right? I'm a pastor. It's amazing how it's harder to be real about my sin now than it was then. Um, the invitation is that we would continue to believe the gospel, continue to see our need and to rest. In fact, John anticipates this in chapter two. If you look down, he says, I'm writing this to you so you won't sin. But if anyone does, you know, it's a big if, right? (laughs) If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Um, He he anticipates this. And so one of the things that I want to challenge you with is that many of us, if you've been in Christ for any length of time, you have probably memorized 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. But what I want to challenge is maybe the way you've thought about that, because I think most Christians tend to think of that as this me and Jesus exchange. I confess to Jesus, he forgives me. Uh, what I want to challenge you with is even look at the language in this. Again, the whole context is, is John saying we want to have fellowship. It's about fellowship in the body. We'll talk about that more in verse 7 in a few minutes here. Um, that what, what John is talking about is not a me and Jesus confession. Even look at the language. It's a first person plural, us, right? We. That he's talking about corporate confession. When he's talking about walking in the light, he's talking about confessing to one another. Uh, And what I want to challenge you with is that that was not something new. This is how God has always called his people to live. You know, uh, temple sacrifice was very um, public confession. People bringing a a sheep in there saying, we got to kill this thing for what happened last night. That's pretty public, right? John the Baptist started his ministry, the inauguration of of the, the coming of the king, by people coming to the Jordan River and publicly repenting of their sins and being baptized. Um, There's something that that I I call a Protestant distortion that, you know, 500 years after the Reformation has happened. So the Reformation, part of the the, the issue in the Reformation was the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, saying you need to go through us to get to God, and people are reading the Bible, particularly passage like 1 Timothy that says there's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus, saying, wait a minute, that's not right. Um, But 500 years later, we have gotten to the point where where confession becomes this kind of spiritual thing with God that doesn't have a place in the body. You know, one of the things we've lost is that that some churches have an avenue to actually have confession. And I'm not saying we need to go back to, you know, Sue's son becoming the priest, you know, does some kind of absolution on you or something. But we've got to find the middle somewhere. And we've gone too far to the other side. 
um, court confession is always intended to be corporate. So let me just throw out a couple verses to you along these lines. Um, Proverbs 28 says, 28.13, Whoever confesses his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them finds mercy. Who do you conceal your sin from? An omniscient God who knows everything? No, 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 no. You, you conceal your sin from other believers, from other people. Whoever confesses and forsakes them finds mercy. Um, James goes further and, and in 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, one, one of the things I want to challenge you with is, on one level, there's shame that we have about what we've done. But a whole other piece of that is, is the way that our pride is at work. You know, I really don't want you to know bad things about me. I really want you to think well of me. Um, the problem is that pride keeps us in chains. And, um, you know, there is no growth in any significant struggle with sin apart from the body of Christ. Jesus doesn't wave a wand over anybody over in a little quiet corner. You know, his invitation is come into the body to find cleansing, to find healing. Um, and so, so we're called to have this, this corporate confession. And one of the ways that I, I would put it to you is, like it says in 1 Peter 5, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Um, in your struggle against sin, you know you need more grace, right? You need more grace to overcome sin in your life. First Peter 5 is saying, this is the way you get it. You humble yourself. Inasmuch as hiding and keeping things quiet is a demonstration of our pride, it says God's opposed to that. If you're willing to humble yourself, he says, I will give you more grace. A significant way we humble ourselves, brothers and sisters, is before one another to say, you need to know about the places where I'm struggling. You need to know the hard places in our marriage. I mean, one of the tragedies, uh, and I'm sure any, any, you know, your pastor and others in the church will say this, one of the tragedies in marriages is so often marriages don't come in the door until they're this far from divorce. And then you're trying to figure out how in the world do we, do we pick up the pieces? Um, what would it look like if early on, when problems are first arising that you can't work through, you start being honest and inviting people in to walk with you? Um, so one of the things I just want to challenge you with again, right in this moment, is, is who in your life can you start opening up to? Who can you share with? Um, who are the people who are safe? I would say that, that your church is absolutely working to be a safe place or I would not be talking to you right now. Um, your church wants to be a safe place where you can bring things into the light. Um, so we talked about the problem that we have hidden sin in our lives. Uh, we talked about the, the, the solution is to begin being honest, to bring things into the light. Uh, and finally, I want to finish up here by just looking at what are some of the blessings of obedience. There's two things that are offered to us in verse 7. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, two things. We have fellowship with one another. And number two, the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. Uh, I won't ask for a show of hands but I am curious how many married people here right now bickered on their way to church. Or maybe you just drove in icy silence because of the fight that you had last night that still isn't resolved. 
Uh, maybe you were just kind of yelling at the kids before you left the house because they're running, they're running late or they spilled their cereal all over the floor this morning. You didn't have time for that. Um, and so everybody just kind of drove in silence because it was all this tension. Um, I won't ask for a show of hands. Sunday mornings are challenging, aren't they? I hope you guys talk about how hard marriage is too, by the way. Um, because, yeah, I meet lots of married couples, and they don't realize. They think they're the only ones that are having a hard time. No, 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 no. Being in one, one flesh union with another sinful person is very difficult. Um, so here's the thing. So often we can come to church with that kind of tension going on in our life. Or maybe you're single, and, and you're, you're walking in the door with just a crushing sense of, of aloneness. Um, or maybe you're feeling guilty about things that you did last night. The problem is we walk in the door and instead of saying, hey, will you pray with me? This is what's going on in my life. I can't even imagine going in and worshiping right now. We just get out, hey, blessed Lord's Day to you, brother. You know, and meanwhile, the kids are like, huh? Where'd this guy come from? You know, um, we, don't, we don't get honest. I, I, I will be, I'll be honest with you, brothers and sisters. I have sat through sermons working out the next point in the argument I was going to make when we got back in the car. It's true. Even as a pastor, as an ordained man, I've done that. Um, What would look different? It's amazing. You don't feel edified by church on those days. You don't leave and you don't feel particularly encouraged. I can't understand why. Um, What would look different is if you walked in the door and you started being honest about what was going on and saying, would you please pray for me? Would you please pray about what's going on here? Um, it would look very different. I love that, that part of the vows you guys had this morning was that you would encourage one another. Hebrews 3 says that we need to encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of us are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need people in our lives to encourage us. And, and here's the thing. People can only encourage you if they know where you're discouraged. That's the only way they can encourage you. Um. So, so the thing that, that John is offering is, is genuine fellowship with one another. If you are living a life where you're posturing and pretending, not letting people in to see the discouragement, you're not getting the encouragement you need, and the relationships aren't, um, they leave you feeling more alone and more empty. Has anybody experienced that? When you're really hurting and you're with people and you're not really dealing with what's real and you go home and you're just feeling even more empty than when you came. Uh, We were created, brothers and sisters, to have genuine intimacy and fellowship with other people that can only happen as we're being honest and and being real about what's going on in our life. So that's one of the blessings. He wants us to experience that in our relationships. Um, You know, I I mentioned coming coming to faith um, out of a background with drugs and alcohol, and one of the things that was really significant for me with that, that I learned through Narcotics Anonymous, was how important fellowship is. We had a sense of desperation. If we didn't have each other, we were going to die because we saw it literally happen. I was, a, I was a teenager, and I saw people go back out and start shooting dope again, and they died. Um, you knew it was real. And then I got saved and came into the church and found potluck dinners. <laughs> you know? It wasn't the same desperation for fellowship. Uh, we need relationships, what I refer to as vital relationships. If you don't have them, you will die. Um, and, and, he, and, and he knows that's what's best for us. That's what, we, that's what our hearts are longing for, to truly be known. So fellowship with one another. The second thing is that the blood of Jesus will cleanse us. 
uh, the cleansing that's in view here, the Greek word katharitse, is is not talking about justification. So, so you've got this, this um, kind of theological category of justification that has to do, deal with your guilt um, that's forgiven, right, because of what Jesus did. It's, it has, an, it has a, a conditional clause here. It's saying, if you walk in the light, this will happen. What it's basically saying is, if you want cleansing from the sin that's dogging you today, the whole issue of your guilt, if you are believing in Christ before the throne of God, is dealt with. It's saying, if you want cleansing from the sin that you're struggling with today, this is the way that you'll find it. And, and I, love how, um, I love how Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians 12. He talks about um, boasting in his weakness. That's where he has this thorn in his flesh. You might remember that passage. And we don't know what it was, um, you know, that, that it was a moral failing or anything like that. It might have just been a physical infirmity, but the same principle applies. He says that he discovered that when he's weak, he's strong. And so his conclusion is, I'm going to boast all the more in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. This is what I was trying to get at earlier, that if we humble ourselves, we get more grace. If we boast in our weakness, it, it, it creates a, a spiritual dynamic in which the Holy Spirit comes and fills and empowers in a way that we can on our own, not to mention that that humbling in the body means that Galatians 6 is going to be played out. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There are burdens in our lives that are too heavy to carry alone. You were never intended to do that. Um, that's, that's why we're described as a body, as all these single body parts that, that need to be inextricably linked together. So Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 12 says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, right? Every part needs the other. And, and that's how, how God desires us to live in relationship. And the promise is that when we do that, we experience cleansing. Um, I want to just look at verse 9 real quickly here. And, and, and in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, faithfulness is lin- linked with cleansing and justice with forgiveness. And I love um, Calvin's commentary on this because sometimes the idea when you're struggling with sin of God being God's justice may not be particularly encouraging, right? When you think about God's justice. Um, I love how Calvin, uh, in his commentary on this passage, says, God's forgiveness of our sin is an act of justice toward Christ." who made the atonement. What, what is that saying? He's, he's saying that Christ as our advocate is coming to the Father saying, Father, um, Dave believes in me. And so yeah, he, he's done this thing again. Who, I've lost count how many times. But he believes in me. And on the cross, I paid the price for this sin. So Father, you must forgive him because it would be unjust to punish the same sin twice. That's what, it's, that's what the appeal to God's justice is, that Christ has satisfied it for us. And so uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure um, what could be going on in your life and where you're struggling, but, but the hope here in this cleansing is that, that God's desire is to bring shalom to you, to bring peace to your life, to restore wholeness and healing and cleansing um, and so I gave you the, the picture of the cockroach, and I want to end with what the contrast would be. What God wants to do is, is give you the freedom to be more and more open about where you struggle, that his grace would abound in your life, and that you would increasingly be, really for all eternity, a trophy of his grace. And the, and the, 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 the contrasting image I would give you would be a diamond, 
that when you shine light on a diamond, the more facets it has cut into it, the more glorious, the more beautiful. It's almost like every aspect of sin in your life is one of those facets that he is working on that when he holds it up, it is a display for for the beauty of his glorious grace in our lives and to be a testimony to other people. He wants to take those broken places and turn them into places of beauty. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that, um, yeah, our Lord Jesus, as we sang, all for love's sake became poor. That in love you sent him to redeem us because you love us with an everlasting love. That, Lord Jesus, you are our ultimate bridegroom, that you are even now, as you have been for 2,000 years, waiting eagerly, looking forward to that wedding feast, to sitting down with us and taking that cup of celebration and drinking it in your kingdom with us. Uh, Lord, we thank you that that your goodness and mercy pursue us all the days of our life. Uh, Lord, we want to be people who are living, um, allowing the gospel to go all the way down uh, and free us to be open and honest about what's going on in our lives. Uh, Lord, I thank you for what you are doing in this church. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. And uh, would you give them the courage uh, to experience genuine fellowship with one another through their honesty and confession. In Jesus' name, amen.